This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Caitlin Donovan's work is a deep and real examination of the true causes of burnout and how to heal them within yourself. Her work is for everyone who has ever felt fried with a special focus on the female entrepreneur. In a world where women are told they can have it all and be it all, the high achievers are looking down from the top of the mountain and wondering why it doesn't feel as good as they thought it might. Burnout is not your fault. Caitlin guides us toward healing no matter which cause of burnout is most prevalent in our lives. Valeria Tellez interviews Caitlin Donovan, the author of The Bounce Back Ability Factor, End Burnout, Gain Resilience, and Change the World. Caitlin is one of New York City's leading burnout experts and acupuncturists, and also the host of Fried, the burnout podcast. Her master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine enables Caitlin to combine Eastern wisdom with her natural practicality. After performing more than 25,000 acupuncture treatments, Caitlin added one-on-one coaching, corporate workshops, and keynotes for companies such as PTC and Lululemon, all with a focus on burnout. She has been featured on podcasts and online magazines such as Forbes, Elephant Journal, Thrive Global, Addicted to Success, as well as quoted in Oprah Magazine. Meet Caitlin at katedonovan.com. Here is the interview with Caitlin Donovan. In your own words, who is Caitlin Donovan? I love that question and the way that you ask it. And this is in the beginning of my book. I say, you know, I I need to introduce myself. And the words that follow I am are said to be the most important ones that we use. So normally, you know, you'd use all your accolades in the beginning. You'd say, I have these blue ribbons and I have these courses and I have this master's degree and I speak these languages and I've lived in these places and, and wow, look at my life. But I, in the book, I did the same, you know, I am an incredibly intuitive feeling person who sees and feels pain of other people and has a desire to end it. And I am very aware that that desire stems from a place where I would like to help people, but it also stems from a place where I don't like to witness the pain, right? So it's a little bit selfish. It can be a little bit selfish. And and, and I know that everything that I do is around this. And I happen to see pain related to stressors that people ignore in their lives. That kind of pain is the most obvious to me. So that's what I work with the most. Yeah. And speaking 
about pain or the word pain, our understanding of what that is, do you see a difference between pain and suffering? Yes, absolutely. To me, pain is the actual event and suffering is the thought that follows it. Because if you can be with the pain, if you can be with what is happening, you can lessen the suffering to a grand degree. But that doesn't mean you will not feel the pain. I think suffering extends pain and lets it pour into other places in our lives instead of allowing it to just be what it simply is. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, the bounce back ability factor and burnout, gain resilience and change the world, I have these warm up questions, which I already asked some of them. (laughs) But the next one for you, Caitlin, I had to be this one. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? Yeah, this is a really big one for me because I grew up in a place where finances were uh, difficult always. And so I grew up defining success only by how much money I was going to be able to make. And then when I made a bunch of money and I was not very happy, I, I really had to sit down with myself and decide, well, if that's not it, then what is it? And so then I decided it was going to be, you know, how many people I can help. And then I helped a lot of people and and that didn't make me happy either necessarily. And then I had to stop and think, okay, well, if it's not making other people happy and it's not earning lots of money, which are the two most typical things that we that we learn, right? Then then what is it for me? And what I realized with time is that success for me is having the ability to live through the life experiences I and my soul are meant to live through while I'm here on this planet without too much interference from myself. So I have the space and the energy and the emotional state and the availability to meet myself where I need to be to live the human lessons that I'm meant to live. I have to ask you the question, what is the soul? What is the soul? That's a good question. For me, I do believe in past lives and reincarnation. So to me, the soul is the piece of me that will become a piece of whatever comes after me and was a piece of what came before me that is here on its own evolutionary journey. And it uses me as just a simple body for this this place in time. But the soul is the thing that is evolving and that is always returning to the light. You say, for my grandmothers, who, whose emotions I carry in my DNA and on whose shoulders I stand. Is that what you mean when you speak of the soul? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's a fascinating subject to talk about because when we think about the soul, or the spirit, or the source, and we use different words for it, which sometimes I ask, is there a difference between the source, the creator, God, the soul, the spirit? And some people give me different answers. But now I'm wondering if, like you saying, we are just um, a compilation of thoughts and ideas and dreams from people who came before us, other souls, as you call it. Um, I think that each individual soul has its own journey, but I think that because of all the studies that I've done in past life regressions and things like this, I think that our souls, you know, what they teach is that we are often reincarnated with similar people around us. And I think that there are certain people on our journeys that are meant to give us certain lessons. 
and those lessons are we are they're intertwined with one another so even though each soul is on its own particular journey the soul's journey with each other and through each other over the years what is to be free finally what is it to be free i don't know that i know the answer to that question i don't think i'm there <laughs> what is it to be i think freedom is um is beyond me right now yeah i love your honesty what is healing to you? Is there such a thing as to be healed? That might be the same question as the one I just asked about freedom, but may not. I think if we're talking about the physical body, I think being healed is about being seen, validated, and listened to, and being left whole at the end of it. To be in the presence of another person and be fully there and not be broken up into parts for yourself to protect yourself or because of the other person's judgments or or thoughts i think that when you are in a room with a healer and the healer is incoherent so their heart waves and their brain waves are matched up and this is a measurable scientific thing this is i know we're we're talking about spirit level things right now but this is a, a thing that you can measure in someone this is not i'm not making this up this is science right so when your brain and your heart are in coherence and you are the healer and you enter the room with another person their brain and their heart enters coherence and their body enters a state where they are rejuvenating where they are being restored so I believe this is what healing is. Whether there's a, I don't think there's an end to it though, because the body is not a, the body is in perpetual change and perpetual motion. So there's always going to be something that needs to be upgraded and rejuvenated and healed. That's the entire process by which we live. Cells expand, grow, die, atrophy, and then return back to the body only to be reborn again. So I think that there's, uh, uh, and the I think the ultimate healing comes with the ultimate sort of nirvana that comes with death. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? I think this goes back to, you know, for me, what I've learned about past lives and the science that I've read about past lives. Like I love the spiritual world, but my background is scientific. So I enjoy the research and I enjoy when the two sort of can combine so for me, the human experience exists to give the soul a vehicle to reach its next level, to uh, go through lessons that it didn't get to go through before. And we're always trying to get to a higher vibration, a higher vibration, a higher vibration. And this realization recently has really made me realize that I don't have to finish everything in this lifetime. You know, I'm here to do all the things that my physical body and, and my experience with the other humans that I'm with right now, everything that I can do within those parameters, but I'm not able to do everything because I have parameters, because there are limits and, and we like to think of ourselves as limitless, but I don't actually believe that to be true. I think as when we are in the human form, we are not limitless. So I think that my job here as a human is to allow my soul to evolve as much as humanly possible. I love that, Caitlin. Yeah, that resonates true to me. So at this time, you know, with all the change that have happened this year and is still happening, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? The world's greatest need, I think, is the ability to hold nuance and paradox. 
we've become so frightened of so many things that we have started to put things back into categories and boxes. And I think that this is really dangerous because we're saying, well, if you support this person, that means you are this. And that means we can never, you know, be in the same room. And if you like this thing, then that means you are this. And everything has become so straightforward to us. And we have forgotten that human beings are quite complex and very nuanced. And all of us, every single person I have ever met, including myself, is a bit of a hypocrite in one way, shape or form. We tell other people, oh, don't lie about this, but then we're okay taking cash from the patient and not telling the government, right? Because we consider that a little bit different than, than the lie that you told. I think that what the world needs really is a renewed ability to hold paradox, to not completely hide all the shadow parts of yourself. And you can do that if you can hold paradox and say, sometimes I lie and I'm also a good person. And both of those things are true. And to to really understand that nuance is in every single one of us. And we all have, uh, we're all really aiming for the same things, even if our humanly and earthly experiences have led us to different thought patterns and and different ideas on what life should should look like. But as far as the vision I have for the world, you know, my big goal is to end burnout culture, which is this constant need to strive for more and work hard and never ask for help and be independent and be successful according to society's rules and regulations. And so so my big vision is to see this end and help people see that they can enjoy themselves without the rules that society has handed them. What is love to you, Caitlin? I'm almost at the end of the uh, warm-up questions. What is love to me? It's to me actually the same as healing. It's the ability to be in your own presence or someone else's without judgment. Do you ever use the word God? Not frequently. Not frequently. I don't. um, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and I decided when I was seven that I did not agree with it. The word God for me is very tied up in church. So I'm okay with other people's use of the word. I understand why people need it. I'm okay with other people's use of religion. I understand why people need it. But I don't necessarily need to use that word in order to feel connected. What is your understanding and idea of peace? I think my idea of peace goes back to the same thing about nuance is peace is the ability to hold the good and the bad, to hold the paradox and feel accepting of both. Wonderful answer. I love your wisdom. So how did you become a writer? How did I become a writer? I read I read a poem when I was a senior in high school. So it was 1999-2000. And it was by Charles Bukowski, who, you know, is well known by so many. And he wrote about, you know, you you are an author, a true author, when you can't help but write because the words are pouring out of you. And when I read that when I was in high school, I thought to myself, someday that will happen to me. And I knew that someday it would happen to me. And and it didn't for a very long time. You know, it took 20 years for me to to find that time. But I got to the point where... I had absorbed so much information. I had read so many books and worked with so many healers and, 
lived so many places and talked to so many people. I had done more than 25,000 acupuncture treatments. I really, I'd done so much and absorbed and taken in so much that I felt like I, the words were not just falling out of my mouth, but out of my eyes and my ears. And I couldn't keep them in anymore. And if I didn't get them out and put them on paper, they would be stuck in my body and I wouldn't have room to take in anything else, but I like to take things in. So I had to get it out to create room. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That sounds good to me. Just writing because you can't really hold those words, which they're just thoughts and inspiration. Yeah. So what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, The Bounce Backability Factor? For me, The Bounce Backability Factor was filling a hole in the market in a big way. Because when you read through even all the research that's available about burning out, all the research says, well, it's your workplace's fault. It's the environment's fault. It's the leadership's fault. And I was reading it as a female entrepreneur. And I was saying, well, I am my boss. I created the environment. I decided my hours. I did this. So is it, then is it my fault? Did I, what, huh? You know, and I got stuck on this question of if it's supposed to be the system's fault, what's the system that I'm in that's causing me to create this structure? And why isn't anyone talking to me the way that my life is about this? I I can't just blame society at large, which it is partially, you know, we do live in this burnout culture. So there is some societal pressure that causes you to make certain decisions if when you're unaware, of course. And I felt like just no one had been talking to me. Everybody was talking to a corporate worker or a doctor in a hospital. So for me, this book was filling a need in the market for all these amazingly powerful women I had met over the years that are building these amazing businesses and then feeling crushed by their own success because they built businesses based on structures that don't serve them. I have a lot of questions here for you (laughs) (laughs) about that, those structures. But before that, what has been your own experience with burnout? And perhaps the follow-up question is, what is burnout? So my own experience with burnout was actually doing a job I love, which was another thing that came up as very confusing for me when I was going through it as well. How could I burn out? I'm doing acupuncture. I'm helping people. I love this. Like I I actually love the medicine and I, I like the practice. So what's the problem? And I didn't find that information either, which is why I dug a little bit further. So my own burnout was really brought on by the fact that I was really trying hard to prove my value. And I was really focused on, I I thought I had good boundaries, but I was really focused on giving patients more than they thought that they needed and and really over giving myself. And so I, I just overused my energy, used more than I had for many, many, many years on end until my body just stopped and said, I can't anymore. I just can't anymore. And then burnout itself, if you look it up in the literature and the research, it says it's a combination of three things. One is physical and emotional exhaustion. The second is cynicism and detachment, feeling separate from everything, having what I call your internal negative Nancy. And the third is a lack of feeling impactful, a lack of productivity, a lack of feeling accomplished, this this sort of idea. So you need those three components in place to recognize burnout in someone's life. That sounds complex to understand, but I'll be asking you 
lots of questions so we can <laughs> clarify what that means exactly. So before that, Caitlin, why did you choose to study traditional Chinese medicine and also to become an acupuncturist? So for me, I always thought that I was going to be a doctor. I had plans that since I was about three years old. I told my grandmother, you know, I'm going to be a doctor someday. And I followed that path. And I was, I had gotten almost a full scholarship to Boston University to go to school for, uh, to major in biology on a pre-medicine track. So I was getting ready to go to med school. And I was in my second year when I thought, oh no, I'm never doing this. This is not my life. I don't want this. I don't want any part of this. I don't like this. I don't want to be totally in debt and miserable and tired by the time I'm 32. Like, what am I going to do with myself? And at the time I was doing a master's. It was only my second year in college, but they allowed me to take a master's level class as one of my um, extra classes. As I don't remember what it's called right now. But as, as one of my extra classes, they allowed me to take a, a master's level course in meditation. And so I was taking that course because my also my, my minor was Eastern religion at the time. So I was learning about Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, all of this. And so I took this course in meditation and the teacher was Livia Cohn and she's the world's foremost scholar of Taoism. So I went to her office hours one day and I said, Livia, I don't know what I'm going to do. She said, well, what's wrong? I said, well... I always thought I was going to be a doctor and I, I, I can't do this to myself. I know that it's not the right path for me. And I, if it's not that, I don't know what it is. And she stopped and she said, well, just do Chinese medicine. I said, what the F is Chinese medicine? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's how it started. <laughs> oh, wow. So you accepted a suggestion from somebody else you trusted. I started reading about it and I turned to, this was the first time in my life where I felt like I could really understand how religion captivated someone because Chinese medicine turned almost into a religion for me. I wanted everybody to know about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand why the whole world wasn't talking about it. I, I felt like I was saved almost, you know, because it was like, this makes the whole world make sense. Why isn't everyone talking about this? It seems to me like burnout, it has something to do with this burning passion for something, this desire to help others, like you said, to become successful, whatever it is, that sounds very positive. And you actually talk about this idea of positivity that can yes. turn into something else. <laughs> so how do we learn to recognize the signs of burnout? What does it feel like and how is it different from anxiety and fear, um, depression? You know? It doesn't have to be. They can be anxiety, fear, depression. They can all be part of a burnout. It doesn't have to be mm. part of a burnout, but it can be part of a burnout. And everybody recognizes the symptoms of burnout differently. So for me, I had thyroid issues and I was gaining weight and I could barely walk upstairs. And for other people, it's constant headaches. And for other people, it's Bell's palsy. And for other people, it's, you know, they've had a cold or a flu every month for the past eight months. And for some people, it's a stroke. And for some people, it's different in every single person. So when what I ask people to look for on my podcast and when I'm talking about it is when you've had certain coping mechanisms that have helped you for a really long time in your life and they stop working, you are probably burnt out. So if, for instance, and it doesn't matter whether the coping mechanism was initially healthy or unhealthy, they stop working anyway. So if, for instance, you were somebody who would have a stressful day and then you would say, it's okay, I'm going to turn, put on my running shoes when I get home, I'm going to run for three miles, it will help me clear my head and I will feel better when I come back. So you will go for your run 
and you will come back and you will feel worse or you won't make it all the way through your run or you'll start running and you'll think, well, this feels terrible. Like you just, your normal coping mechanisms stop working. So if you used to be able to have one glass of wine at the end of your day to wind down, all of a sudden you're having a bottle and it's still not really working. And then you're sleeping terribly and you feel bad the next day too. So you you get on these cycles where you just, all of the techniques that you always use to help yourself just really aren't helping anymore. To me, this is the clearest sign of, of burnout. The other thing that I ask people to look for is resentment, a lot of resentment. And this is because burnout has a lot to do with where our boundaries are. And I don't mean boundaries like assertiveness. I don't mean your, yes, your inability to say no, of course, but also your ability to not say yes in the first place to a question that nobody asked you. Mm, right. You don't have to right. say no to these questions. You have to just stop volunteering yourself, basically. Mm. So a lot of burnout has to do with this like sort of inability to maintain these boundaries. And when we don't maintain these boundaries, we get we blame other people and we get resentful. Oh, I did this for you and now you're not doing it for me. Oh, I would act this way and you're not acting the way that I would like you to act. Oh, you know, I did X, Y, and Z for you. Now I'm asking you for something small. And the other person is saying, yes, but I didn't ask you to do any of those things. So resentment is a big one. This is something that we all need to reflect upon. I'm reflecting right now about it. <laughs> this is why I have a I have an online course for this because I think it's that important. Yeah, and it is. It is. Just one. resentment, just on resentment. Because I think if more people could spend a little bit of time taking their resentment and creating new boundaries, they would gain more energy and then they would have more available to themselves and it would be easier for them to avoid getting into that situation again in the future, you know? Right, yes. I can't help but bring the topic of self-love. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? I believe that that is the aim Do I think we ever totally get there? I'm not sure. I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe some people have. I think more compassion than love. I can do compassion pretty much all the time. True, true unconditional love. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe other people can do that, but I don't, I don't know if, if I'm able to get there. Do you think it could help us to avoid burnout? Yes. By practicing self-love? Yes. But I also believe that And this is something that life coaches and uh, people that work with, you know, self-help and personal development, we don't like to admit this to people. And it really bothers me. It's one of my biggest issues with our, our field is that we like to tell people that they can create all of these things from inside of themselves. Well, if you just love yourself enough, then everything else will fall into place. And I think that that's crap because I didn't learn to love myself by learning to love myself. I learned to love myself because I got ugly in front of other people and they loved me anyway. And they taught me that even my ugly bits are lovable, right? I didn't teach that to myself. This was taught to me because of other people. I think that we, we really are making a big mistake separating ourselves all the time from everyone else. Like if you just, you, if you just un, unleash this love inside yourself, then every, no, no, I need other people for that. And it's okay to need other people for that. And then in the burnout research, one of the big things that they notice is that one of the biggest factors for burning out is a lack of recognition of your work. Literally your boss not coming and saying, good job right. is a burnout factor. So we cannot 
keep going on, pretending that we don't need positive feedback from the people around us and that the people around us don't need positive feedback from us. This is what makes the world go around, you know? Before we talk about the bouncing back, let me ask you another question about the people who are most uh, affected by burnout. Would you say women, also empaths and highly sensitive people? Absolutely. And I don't want to, you know, if there are men listening, I'm not saying that you do not burn out, you do burn out and you burn out within the same system that we burn out in because the system doesn't really work well for you either. However, your role has been as a man, your role has been mostly the same. So there is a pressure for you to provide for the family, to keep everyone physically safe and, and financially stable. And this is a really big burden that you carry. But we have had the burden of caring for everyone for a long time. And then we added the burden of also helping out financially. And we added the burden of being members of our community that, that serve in bigger ways. And we added the burden of et cetera, et cetera. So I believe that as women, we definitely are carrying more as a general rule. And I think that as an empath or a highly sensitive person, when if you this is this is actually tricky because if you are aware that you are an empath or a highly sensitive person and you give yourself the extra time that you need for recovery and regeneration in between tasks then you will not burn out at a faster rate than everybody else but if you do not know yourself well enough to know that you are an empath or to know that you are a highly sensitive person and you do not give yourself the extra time then you will burn out much faster than everybody else Talk to me a little bit more, Caitlin, about the uh, burnout culture. It's here now, so it's part of our culture. How is it part of our culture? Well, we have a lot of beliefs that we shouldn't be asking people for help. It's really hard to avoid burnout when you're trying to do everything alone, not only because alone is not possible. It's just even, you know, even if you're having a cup of tea right now, somebody picked that tea and somebody else dried that tea and somebody else put it in a bag and somebody else put that bag in a box and somebody else put that box together and somebody else got that box on a truck and somebody else got that truck to a warehouse and somebody else got, you know, we, there's 55 people just in your cup of tea, right? So we never actually do anything alone, but we do have this belief that we have to, if we are successful alone, it is uh, considered more valuable and it's not. And I think this is, I got sidetracked a little bit, but I think this is a really big problem. That's a big and important message too. <laughs> this idea of doing it together, yeah, accomplishing whatever we want to accomplish with the help of others. right? And Or even just recognizing that we're not doing it alone in the first place. I think just the simple recognition of the fact that you're not actually doing it alone already makes it feel different. If you know that there needed to be 55 or 100 people alive so that you have this particular mug from this particular store with this particular tea with hot water that came from, you know, a kettle or a faucet that was, you know, there's there's so many people involved. If you can remember that, then it's much easier to find gratitude and it's much easier to reach out to people because you really have a deep understanding of the fact that even if you think you're doing it alone, you're not. Yeah, that sometimes might come from a place of um, low self-esteem that we wanted to prove ourselves and show that we can do it alone. <laughs> yeah, it comes from also from trauma. Right. Right. It's oh, yeah. uber independence <laughs> is, um, is, a, is a trauma reaction. So... So that leads to the one of the causes that you talk about, positive thinking. 
And then mm-hmm. I think you say without really knowing what, what that is. So what is positive thinking? So I think people are messing up positive thinking because they think that it means that you're not allowed to think anything bad. Right. So people say, well, I can't think about that because then I will attract it. Mm, like, yeah. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. True. You are a normal human being having normal human reactions to normal human life. Like that's totally so acceptable. And so I think that we've done a really terrible job explaining to people that every emotion is valid and valuable in our lives. And we need these emotional sort of impulses to help us live and to help us clarify what our wants, needs and desires are. And it doesn't matter if it's anger or joy, it's just information. And that leads me to the idea of knowing oneself, which you talked about briefly. So getting to know ourselves and being honest with ourselves, that sounds to me like having courage and has been my experience too. I had to be courageous to get to that point. So I'm wondering how do we learn to be courageous and embrace ourselves just the way we are for now? I don't think we learn to embrace ourselves. I think that that's starting way too big, right? First, we learn to embrace resentment and start to see it as a useful tool. And then all of a sudden, anger becomes not so heavy because we think, oh, if I can do this with resentment, I can probably do it with anger too. And then we start to see fear and we think, hmm, I wonder if I could use resentment and anger to get some information for myself that's usable. What information is over there in fear? And oh, wow, there's sadness here. That's interesting, right? I don't think we, I think that we are asking people to do too much sometimes. I don't need you to embrace all of yourself right now. That's a very big job. I'm (laughs) still not doing that. And I've been on a personal growth journey since I was 18 and I'm almost 40, right? This has been half my, more than half my life I've been doing this and I still suck at it on a day to day basis. Uh, right? Tell me about it's it. Yeah. painful hmm. and difficult and awful most of the time. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. just the truth of it. So yeah. I'm not asking you to embrace yourself as you are right now. I'm asking you if one of your uncomfortable emotions today, if, if just one moment that you have an uncomfortable emotion today, you can stop and say, oh, that's interesting. That's all. Just yeah. start with that. Being curious and being open to explore ourselves yeah. more than trying to embrace everything. <laughs> How do we practice? What are some of other ways or ways that you have practiced gratitude that was really effective? So for me, gratitude is only useful when we can use it like any other emotional state. And we can only really use any other emotional state when we can feel it fully in our bodies. So if you are writing a gratitude journal and you don't actually have a physical sensation when you're writing, it's not working. It's changing your focus for a minute, maybe. But if you're not feeling it, it doesn't really matter. So for me, the question always becomes, what can I be grateful for right now that I can really feel in my entire body? And if I cannot feel that way today because I just got really bad news, because something terrible just happened, because I'm overwhelmed, because I'm anxious, because I'm something else then I should focus on the thing that I'm feeling instead of trying to spiritually bypass it with gratitude that I don't actually feel. So for me, gratitude is about stopping and saying, is there something in my day today that I can really feel in my body that I'm grateful for? So a lot of times I will use mala beads, right? So there's 108 of them. 
Sometimes I'll try to get 108 things before I go to sleep. I don't do this all the time, but I do try to do this sometimes. And sometimes I can, because when you're really being grateful, you're thinking about the fact that, for instance, today, before we got on the phone, I ripped out a page of stickers from a free catalog that Amazon just sent out before the holidays. Mm -hmm. And I stuck the stickers on the back of my notebook in no particular order. And I started outlining them because I like to doodle when, when I talk. It helps me focus and it helps me stay present. And I did this always when I was studying and when I was in school, I, I've always doodled. And, and so now I've been, the whole time we've been on the phone, I've been <laughs> tracing the outside of these stickers so that I can focus. So I am so grateful and I can feel it in my whole body. I'm so grateful that I tore that page out of the Amazon catalog and that I have these stickers to trace, you know? It's a silly thing. It's nothing major, but I can feel that because I know that I need this activity to anchor me to have a conversation that's as important as this one. What is to be spiritual to you? To me, this goes back to the same question about the soul, right? To me, spirituality is the recognition that I am a soul and that my job here is to go through periods of growth and to try to better whatever I had learned in however many thousands of years came before this one. Although I love seeing the big picture of things, <laughs> that's fun to me. <laughs> Always <laughs> the big picture. What is love? <laughs> and all these questions. <laughs> yeah, I love your wisdom. And that, that's a reminder for me to stay in the moment too. Here. So we're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Oh, I hadn't thought of that, really. I think I have some, um, let me find it. I asked people to send me their favorite quotes when I had the book launch going. And there is one that a lot of people highlighted. And so it was interesting to me that it was a lot of people um, saying the same thing, right? So let me find it. Now I'm reading them. They're funny. Oh, here's, <laughs> here it is. It says, if you need to be replanted, you need to be replanted, whether that be into a new country, city, job, or relationship. No amount of inner work or affirmations will make you feel good in environment, job, or relationship that doesn't work for you. There's only so much influence you have over your environment. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your message, your healing message, Caitlin. So I have a few more questions. I call them final questions. I have to ask you those three for some reason. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of now? The hardest lesson to learn about myself was that sometimes I'm terrible. <laughs> no matter how much good I try to do in the world, I'm not always good. And accepting this about myself was what allowed me to not have to try to be a good person all the time, which was leading me to burnout. You know, so it's really convoluted, but it's really hard to accept that there are parts of you that are just not nice. Two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? If I knew, I don't think that I would, because like I said, I'm, I'm very well aware that I'm on a journey and, and I trust that process. And if I were to die soon, I, I would trust that that was happening because I did what I was supposed to do here. It's not really only up to me, kind of, you know? My last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Three things about life that I know for sure. I feel like Oprah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things I know for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know that being honest with all of your emotions is healing. I know that for sure. I know for sure that making sure that everyone else knows how much of a good person you are will not bring you fulfillment. This is not the way forward. And I know for sure, absolutely for sure, that there's a monetary level which is necessary for survival. And there's a little level above that that makes you slightly more comfortable. And when you get beyond that, your happiness factor doesn't change. So true to all of that. I love how authentic you are and that's ultimately healing and what healing is <laughs> is able to embrace yeah who you are in this moment thank you caitlin for your message our conversation today and everything that you're trying to do without trying that hard <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me what a great conversation i have one more question for you where can we find more information about you your books products services and future projects Everything is at either my website or on my podcast. So my website is katedonovan.com, C-A-I-T-D-O-N-O-V-A-N.com, or at friedtheburnoutpodcast.com. Everything is in those two places. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Caitlin Donovan and her work, please visit katedonovan.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>